mentioned earlier that looking outside, it doesn't look like Palm Sunday. I'm not sure what Palm Sunday is supposed to look like, but I assume you ought to be able to find some palm branches somewhere, and uh, they're all buried this morning. Uh, snow on this late in March is not unheard of in Kansas, but it's unique. Uh, it is Palm Sunday, at least that's what the, the world calls this day. Because of what happened in Jerusalem a little over 2,000 years ago, and it did happen about this time of year. Uh, I want to start by reminding us of what happened that day, uh, because it's a, an amazing turn of events. Uh, the Sunday morning that we call Palm Sunday these days, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Matthew tells it this way in Matthew 21, if you want to read along the first 11 verses, the little heading over the chapter says, the triumphal entry. Uh, this was one week before his crucifixion, the Sunday before his crucifixion that next weekend. Matthew records it this way, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and At once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them. He will send them right away. They took, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna, the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. And asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Luke adds a little bit to the story. You don't need to turn there. It's just one verse. But Luke 19, verse 39, says, Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Understand the Pharisees heard the crowd calling him the Christ, the Messiah, Hosanna, and they said, rebuke them for saying that. In verse 40, Jesus said, I tell you, if they keep, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Someone's going to praise the Son of God. And John adds just a little bit more to the story of what happened that day in John chapter 12 and verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. That gives us a picture of what Jerusalem was like that Sunday. Of what Jesus' popularity was like that Sunday. And we ought, you need to understand, he could have been anything he wanted to be that Sunday. He could have been mayor of Jerusalem, governor of Palestine, the king of the Jews, right then and there. The people, the masses were on his side. 
They were ready to make him king. They begged him to be king. They flocked to his side. That wasn't God's plan. Now, that's what the earth thought they wanted that Sunday. But that wasn't what God had in mind. He wasn't after an earthly kingdom. He was after a heavenly kingdom. So Jesus refused the crown. And the, the, the stunning part is that in just a matter of days, things completely changed. Absolutely 180 degree turn from the praise and the hosannas and the, the, the wanting to make him king. Five days later, Mark continues the story over in Mark chapter 15. And listen to what happened in just five days. Verse 25 of Mark 15, it was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. And those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Quite a change, wasn't it? And there was actually logical thinking by the, the, the people and the priests and everybody, if he was the son of God, if he was really the son of God, he should have the power to come down from the cross. He'd said he was the son of God. And if he had that power, he ought to come down. Anybody who had that power, he wouldn't stay up there. They wouldn't choose to die a death like that. So, he obviously didn't have the power. So, he obviously wasn't the Son of God. Pretty logical, but it was false. Because, you see, what was wrong with their reasoning was, he could have saved himself. He chose not to. He could have saved himself that day. And that's the, the take that I would like to... to pull from this story of the, the change from Palm Sunday to Crucifixion Day is the things that he did along the way. He could have saved himself. There's so many places, of course, any time he could have saved himself, but there's so many places when it's so obvious that it just shocks us, I hope. When he chose to go to Jerusalem, that was a faithful decision. He could have decided not to go to Jerusalem. He could have stayed, saved himself just by staying in Galilee. Uh, Galilee was his main base of operations, and people loved him up there. I mean, that's where he did most of the big things. That's where he preached the Sermon on the Mount. That's where thousands of people came to hear him. That's where he amazed people with his teaching. That's where he fed so many people. For 5,000, the 3,000. And they wanted to make him king because of all of that. They went out and listened to him and they said, he speaks with authority. He's somebody special. 
That's where he walked on the water. That's where he stilled the storm. That's where he said, peace, be still, and the storm stopped. They loved him up there in Galilee. And there were lots left to do. There were, there were plenty of sick people left to heal. Plenty of hungry people to feed. Plenty of sinners to preach to. And he was safe. He was popular up there. Remember when Lazarus died. They were up in Galilee. And Jesus said, we've got to go down to Lazarus' funeral. And the apostles said, you've got to be kidding. You want to go back to Judea? The last time we were in Judea, they tried to stone you. We're safe up here. Let's just stay here and everything will be all right. But we don't want to get even close to Jerusalem. And Jesus said, no, we're going. And remember Thomas, doubting Thomas, who we pick on some, actually was pretty brave. He said, well, if he wants to go, let's go. Remember what he said next? Let's go die with him. If we get close to Judea, we're all dead. Jesus knew that, but the, the scripture records that he set his face steadfastly toward Jerusalem. He knew what was going to happen. He could have stayed in Galilee. And step by step, he made his way to that city where the end was going to come. You, you see, he could have saved himself. But what he couldn't do was save himself and us too. So he went to Jerusalem. He could have saved himself in the Garden of Gethsemane. That would have been easy to escape. Uh, we tell the story like the soldiers came and got him and all that. But if we really think through it, it would have been easy for him to get away. I mean, it was dark in the Garden of Gethsemane. and no street lights in those days. He could have slipped off. Behind the rocks, behind the trees, he could have made his way to Mary and Martha's house. They would have hidden him. He could have escaped back to Galilee. And it wasn't like the soldiers snuck up on him. He, he saw them coming. They came out of Jerusalem with torches in the middle of the night, and he was in the garden, the dark garden. He saw them as soon as they came out of the gate, out of the temple gate. He saw the whole procession as it came down through the Kidron Valley. He saw them as they stepped into the Garden of Gethsemane. He saw Judas stepping out from the pack, and he allowed him to come up and kiss him on the cheek. He could have escaped at any time, but he chose not to. He allowed the soldiers to arrest him, even stop Peter from defending him. You see, he could have saved himself. But what he couldn't do was save himself and us too. In Pilate's judgment hall, he could have saved himself. And you read the story and you're kind of shocked at how Pilate wanted to let him go. Pilate looked him over and asked him a few questions, checked the record out and said, I find no fault in this man. Uh, there's nothing to convict him of. But you see, Jesus didn't cooperate. If Jesus would have cooperated just a little bit with Pilate, I think Pilate would have turned him loose. If Jesus would have just pled his case, defended himself a little bit, man, if he'd have just said something. But he didn't. If he'd have just said, I'm not guilty. 
I've done nothing. Somebody tell me what I've done wrong. And he could, he could have explained. He had a pretty good case. He could have said, Pilate, get some of your Roman soldiers in here and ask them. Ask them what happens when they ask one of my followers or command one of my followers to carry their pack for a mile. That's the law. Everybody has to do that. But you ask them what happens when a Jesus follower gets asked. And the soldiers will tell you, my followers carry the pack two miles. I don't teach revolution. I'm not, I'm not doing anything against the government of Rome. I'm no enemy of your government. I teach meekness and peace. Ask your servant, as the high priest servant that came out to the garden. One of my men lost his temper and attacked him. I stopped him. I healed your servant. I'm not the, the rebel that needs to be crucified. You say, just a little bit of attorney for the defense. And, and I think Pilate would have told the Jewish leaders, I can't crucify this guy. He's done absolutely nothing that Rome should punish him. I'm releasing him. But Jesus didn't say a word. The Bible says it this way. He was like a lamb before his shears, dumb. He didn't say anything. He just went to take his fate. You see, he could have saved himself. But what he couldn't do was save himself and us too. You read on about Pilate, and Pilate was so frustrated by all this, he said, i got to do something. The guy won't defend himself, but let me get him out in front of the crowd. So he gets him out in front of the crowd, and he puts Barabbas out there with him. And he asked the crowd, who do you want me to crucify? This guy, Jesus, who had done nothing wrong. Or Barabbas, this notorious criminal. He may have read his record to them, I don't know. But he was trying to convince them that Jesus ought to be free. And before the crowd there, Jesus could have saved himself. Can you imagine? He could have spoken to the crowds. He still had that authority about it. He could have raised his hand and everybody would have got silent. What's he going to say now? What is this man that has done all these things? What's he going to say now? And he could have reminded them of all of it. He could have said, you guys remember last Sunday? Last Sunday I was coming in here and you were all out there putting your cloaks on the ground and palm branches and and yelling, Hosanna. You loved me. You wanted me to be king. And Bartimaeus, you were blind a few weeks ago. And you, a few weeks ago, you couldn't get up off your mat. You were lame from birth. And I said, take up your bed and walk. And now you're walking. You're standing here. And you ten, you ten guys, a few weeks ago, the skin was rotting off your flesh, off your bones. And I touched you. I touched you and made you whole. How many of you did I feed? When you came out with the multitudes to hear me, how many of you did I I provide free food for? He could have reminded them all that. And he could have gone on. He could have told them, you just get me out of here. Take away the cross business and I'll be your king. I'll heal sickness. I'll I'll cure poverty. 
I'll take care of everything. I'll be a great king. They'd have believed him. You see, he could have saved himself. But what he couldn't do was save himself and us too. And we finally get to the cross. He had so many opportunities to save himself. But even on the way to the cross and at the cross, we understand he could have saved himself. We sing that song about 10,000 angels. He could have called 10,000 angels. At any point, he could have done that. When he was carrying the cross to Calvary, wearing that purple robe that was mocking him and soaked through with blood, and when he fell on the road, he was the king of the universe. He could have done something. When they nailed him to the cross, when they laid him down on the ground and pounded those nails in, he could have showed them. He could have demonstrated his power. He he could have asked for help from the Father. When they lifted the cross up and dropped it into the hole, and they they began to yell at him, "You, you healed the sick, you raised the dead, you calmed the storm, you did all that. Why don't you show us who you are? He could have done it. He could have turned the cross into a twig. He could have vaporized the nails. He could have called 10,000 angels. They could have encircled him between him and all the Roman soldiers. Wouldn't that have been a sight? He could have done that. But instead he was praying, Father, forgive them. And that's the way it had been his whole life. From the stable where he was born in in an unknown place. Through his ministry, he had no place to lay his head. His friends at the end, one of them betrayed him. The rest of them abandoned him and denied him. He went through the phony kangaroo courts all night. No justice done. The people turned on him a week ago, five days ago, they were praising him. Now they were yelling to crucify him. And now everybody was yelling, come down from the cross if you're really the king. If you're really the son of God, show us who you are. And we've seen so many superhero movies, we, deep down we want it to happen, don't we? At that moment when you read the story and everybody is yelling at him and cursing him and mocking him, if he would have just asked the Holy Spirit to come down, if he would have just asked an angel to give him that special measure of strength, he could have. And he could have straightened up on that cross and his eyes could have blazed with glory and they would have seen the Lord of glory. They would have known who he was. But instead he said, Father, forgive them. And gave up his spirit. You see, he could have saved himself. But what he couldn't do was save himself and us too. We sang a lot of songs this morning about the lamb. Jesus was the perfect lamb of God. But there's one major difference. The lamb had no choice. The lamb was taken to sacrifice and he couldn't stop it in any way. Jesus could have stopped it. At any point, at every point, 
he could have stopped it. And that's why the Bible says there is no greater love than this. That a man would lay down his life for his friend and even his enemies. When we understand what he did when he could have saved himself, so many things make sense. That part of that song we sing, love so amazing so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Maybe we tell the old story so many times that we lose sight of what really happened that day. But if we understand what Jesus could have done and chose not to, maybe we can stop and realize that it was for us. It was only for us. It was just for you. You need to respond to that kind of love this morning. It demands your love, your life, your all. If you want to respond, let's stand and sing and you come.